Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 13th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. I see Bruce is here with me. Pete and Leroy should be joining us any minute now. Phone lines are open. Jump in and dial. It's going to go quick today. We're only doing an hour. It's going to go really fast. So you want to jump in here and uh, get the calls and questions lined up. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. It's a beautiful day, so uh, looking forward to a wonderful show. And I, I have a question for the owner-operators. Okay. Dr. Alan Lesser is in a Sprinter motorhome like yours, heading east on I-80 in Wyoming with high winds. And this is his first trip in this motorhome, never had a motorhome. He's running 65 miles an hour. He says, how come when the semi-trucks pass me, they cut right over and throw all this gravel and sand up on my windshield? He said, so what I'm doing now is when I see them coming, I go into the left lane. I let them continue by on the right lane. Oh, that's a bad and his idea. question is, well, his question is, do they prefer that? No, hell no. Hell no. Okay. No, stay. <laughs> and I, I don't understand why they move over so soon either. You know, we might as well throw this out now. I, I catch hell every time I talk about this. Um, the idea of on a, a today's modern interstate with today's modern trucks, don't flash your lights for me to come back over. I don't need it. I have plenty of room. I have plenty of time. I have plenty of power. I'll get around you and I'll move back over when I'm ready to. I hate the flashing of the lights. It confuses everybody. And nine times out of 10, the person flashing the lights, I swear my trailer is barely past their grill and they're already flashing their lights. I don't want to come over that soon. Just stop that. That whole tradition goes back to two lane roads and 210 horsepower. When passing another truck was, uh, you were taking your life in your own hands when you did it, and you did need to know to come right back over sometimes. Today, just just stop all that nonsense. Well, when my father taught me to drive, and he was a motorcyclist and a very sharp guy, he said, when you pass somebody, give them plenty of space before you come over. And his other one, when you're going to merge onto an interstate or the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you should be going faster on the ramp than the traffic is. That way you can merge in. Correct. And his other one was, don't wait till you get to the hill before you accelerate. He said, don't lug my car up the hill. Uh, He knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And of course, tailgating was in there too. Don't tailgate. But um, so I just want people to think about that. You don't have to get right back over to that right lane, especially if you're going 75 and 80 in the vehicle you're passing is going 65. Just kind of hang out in that left lane and give them three or 400 feet. I had a new windshield put in a car in Denver. And before I got back up to the Eisenhower Tunnel, it was already broken from people (laughs) cutting over. Um, I will put out the exception to this rule, too, Bruce. And it's a shame we even have to talk about this, but we do. The one exception to this is if you are the 65 and a half mile an hour truck passing the 65 mile an hour truck. If, first off, oh, just no. don't do that. How hard is it to slow yeah. down one mile per hour and just avoid that completely? But if it's going to take you 10 miles yeah, I, to get past somebody, move over as soon as you can. 
Yeah, two company trucks, both geared at 64, and one wants to pass the other. That's the problem. It is a problem, and so. it, it, it doesn't need to be because if you're, only, if you're only going a half a mile an hour faster than somebody else, because that's what it looks like, it takes them so long to pass, just slow down one mile per hour. Wouldn't that be easier? Mm-hmm. Right. So my other thing for today is I got a young man that keeps emailing me. Unfortunately, they're testing the alarm system in the building today, so I'm not in the building, so I don't have my email. But this has been going on for two weeks. He's throwing more out the compressor side of the turbo, the fresh air side, which either means you've got an air restriction or wet air filters or clogged blow-by tube. It's an aftermarket turbo. We're not sure whose it is. I keep saying, just bring the truck to Pittsburgh. And his answer is, I can't afford you guys. Our labor rate what? is $100 an hour less. Yes, it We're is. $100 an hour less than, than truck dealers. You know, this might be a one-hour problem, might be a three-hour problem, but it won't be much longer than that. Very simple problem to fix. I keep giving him suggestions on what to do, and he says he keeps doing them and continues to have the problem. So at some point, When things like this happen, and I keep emailing and emailing, I have to cut the strings. Yeah, you do. I have to say, okay, enough is enough. If you can't come in or buy a turbo from me or whatever, then then I can't continue to. So some of these emails are three and four hundred words. Ooh, ooh. So let me kind of sum this up because he's 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 suffering from what. what Zig Ziglar would call stinking thinking. Yeah, that's how oh, I remember that one. Remember stinking that one? Thinking. That's what he's suffering from I here. Do. He, that was a good one. Here's why. I'll give you three reasons why he is completely wrong in his thinking about this. One, let's just start with the price. Your hourly rate is less. We know it is. You could just ask. I'll also tell you this. Take the same job whatever it happens to be, take it to that dealer with the higher labor rate. You're going to pay more hours to them too. They're just not as competent. Every time that's going to happen. So he's going to pay less per hour coming to you and pay less hours to get the job done correctly the first time. But then here's, let's throw another Mm -hmm. one in. How much value has he already received from you for nothing? That should count towards the total bill to fix this thing. Right. That's exactly correct. So that's that's anyway, Bruce, this is the this is work turning out to be the theme of my CMC. The theme is turning out to be and it's not that I don't know this. I know this, but it's really starting to become the dominant theme in almost everything I talk about. I'll give you two extremes. So we talk about Matt's numbers and and Matt did over two hundred and seventy thousand last year net one guy, one truck. And then I think back to one of my worst case scenarios where I did the numbers for somebody and a single truck owner operator made 13,000 for the whole year. What's the difference? The difference really comes down to the decisions they make every day. And it's every decision. It's, it's this one. You know, that this guy might go, well, well, it's not that big of a deal. The Steeler's closer. That kind of thinking, though, it's taking the easy way out. 
it's too far to go to Pittsburgh Power. I think they're too expensive. The dealer's right here. I'll, I'll just get it done this time. But it, it's that kind of thinking that takes over. And that's the difference between making 200000 or 13000 for doing the same job. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> I was surprised. I, I read that first sentence. And then the burglar, or not, the fire alarms are going off, so I had to shut down the uh, iPad and, and get out of the building. And, and I said, well, when, how, how am I supposed to answer that one? <laughs> yeah. I can't afford you. Yeah. That's, um, it, it, it comes down to everything. It comes down to how you spec your truck, how you take care of your truck, how you drive it to get fuel mileage. Are you focused on fuel mileage and lowering maintenance costs? And um the, the absolute best way to lower your maintenance cost is fairly simple. Spec the truck right, drive the truck right, and have a good shop that takes care of you. Okay. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, I have a little generator issue going on a small boat. It's a Fisher Panda, and it's a two-cylinder Yamaha. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Kubota, which I was glad to see. Yeah. And it says actuator fault didn't want to start so i was in there this morning and i see a bypass button i push it so it started i've called them twice nobody answers the phone push one for sales two for service push two for service leave your name serial number and your problem and we'll get back to you you know that just really really irritates me because it might be two or three days before they get back to me yeah and, and that that's realize, getting worse. Yeah, it is. It's getting worse. And I know if you leave a message, if you if you call Pittsburgh Power and you have a problem that needs solved right now, you either talk to Pete or Eric or Brian Moan, somebody that's physically there. If you need to talk to me and I'm not right at my desk, just leave the message. You'll get called back that day. And like I said, I call back till nine o'clock at night. But it's amazing how many people don't seem to want to answer their phone after 5 o'clock. Even owner-operators, when I call, uh, or especially 6 o'clock, and I think, are they sleeping? Are they going down a highway? Are they at home having dinner? I mean, it's 6 o'clock. <laughs> Bruce, I, I will vouch for you on that policy. I have traveled with you many times, and it is not unusual to spend 12, 13, 14 hours at, at a truck show, setting up, doing the truck show. Then you got to go out to dinner and kind of wind down. And I have watched you after dinner, after a long day at a truck show, returning phone calls. Yeah. Well, we appreciate owner-operators, and we appreciate their business. That's and right. I, I really enjoy their company, and I enjoy my conversations with them, too. So, Yes, you do. That's what I have for right, right. now. Uh, Pete, Leroy, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Wonderful. Uh, where's the other half of the dynamic duo? Waking up. He's <laughs> here. Pat him on the head or something. Wake him up. Hey, Bruce. Get early work. Bruce. Yes. Did, does the number 75 mean anything to you? Yeah, it sure does. What's that? Three quarters of a century yesterday. Yesterday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. Quite you know, a run. Kevin, I thought I was going to retire at 76, but... <laughs> um, Might not happen, huh? I think I'm going to continue to go, because I... 
There's so many wonderful owner-operators out there. They're a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. And we don't just talk. We sometimes don't talk about trucks. We'll talk about motorcycles, boats, snowmobiles, and life in general and how great Donald Trump is and different things and how bad the politicians have screwed up our country on both sides. And now they want to give $95 billion to Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. It's Did almost, you see that? Yeah, it's almost becoming a joke at this point. I mean, I can't even take it seriously anymore. Who, who in their right mind thinks this is good for our country? What the hell happened in Washington that even the Republicans are voting for all this crap? Yeah. Yeah, it just it just floors me to think what are we 75 trillion in the hole and now they want to make it 76 Thir- trillion in the hole? 35. Oh, 35 trillion? Okay. I think you know what? What's I that? could be wrong about that number though. That number I remember when it was hitting like 20 and we were freaking out and it it's been going up for decades. I can't remember the last time we didn't have a deficit mm-hmm. um or debt. Um, deficit and debt are two different things, but we keep running both of them. That's why our debt keeps getting bigger. But lately, it's been so out of control that I can't even keep track of it anymore. So I don't even know if 35 is the right number. I, I'm almost thinking I saw 41 the other day. But it, it, it doesn't even make sense. There's no way we should be have that kind of debt, and we're still spending. So most politicians have a degree in law which means they never ran a business. And all they knew was if you talk to them for 15 minutes, you're going to get charged $100. <laughs> yeah. I was one time a few years back riding a chairlift in Colorado, and a guy beside me was a lawyer, and we were talking. And he said, excuse me a minute. And he called one of his clients, and he talked to him for five minutes. He hung up. He said, well, that paid for my lift ticket today. Yeah. <laughs> the tickets back then were about $150. Oh, man. And I said, $150 for five minutes. He said, yeah. I wanted to push him off the chairlift. Uh, yeah. The, the, so, the world may have been a better so, place, had you. Yeah. So we keep putting politicians in on both sides, our, our uh, lawyers, I mean, and they think they can just keep writing checks because we are their clients. Yeah, and they're going to continue to charge us. Yes, they and are. This has to this has to stop. I agree. It has to stop. I agree. So, anyway, we better get to Pete and Leroy. Well, we have to make sure Leroy's actually here. I'm a little concerned that you guys are trying to pull over a fast one, and he's not here today because I haven't heard from him yet. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm here. <clears throat> oh, and, and it's not AI. He's always he's all he's wide awake at five a.m. So. I know he is. This is this is a game. He's awake mm-hmm. and alert. His mind's been going a hundred miles an hour already. He's just pulling your choke and rattling your chain. <laughs> That's right. All right. So Leroy, you're up first. Then what's on your mind this morning? Well, uh, I had an interesting one yesterday that um, I couldn't quite believe that the dealer derated this guy's truck from the factory. They had a factory tune done at a dealer on a DD-15, and it was derated out of the box. You're kidding. To the point, to the point where he had a 455. He, he paid for an upright to 505, but with the 12% derate, put him right back at 450. And that came right from the dealer that way. That's crazy. Why? 
I don't know. So I guess a little bit more about this. So it was like a 2015 to 2018, some, somewhere in there, DD15. And we put it on the dyno because we always do that before we do a tune just to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to. Yeah. And it was like 70 horsepower short and like 150 foot pounds short. And I was like, well, before we tune it, we have to figure out what the issue is. Um, I don't want you to have to pay for a tune and just get a little bit above stock, basically. You know what I mean? And I had also noticed it only went to 88% load. I was like, that's kind of weird. Why does it only go to 88%? Well, to make a long story short, there was a multiplier that the dealer has access to. This isn't some fancy tuning parameter. This is something the dealer has access to that they had set to 88%. And it never went to 100% load right from the dealer. So we uh, set it to 100%. He picked up 70 horsepower and uh, 150 foot-pounds of torque. Do you think this and was just some kind of mistake? I don't know what it was, but it's. I feel like I've seen this 88% number before. And on most trucks, so there's three different multipliers. There's one for like gear down protection. There's one for like high gear. And then there's another one. I can't remember the name of it. But it, on other trucks, gear down protection is like an on-off feature. With DD15s, it's a ratio. It's a percentage. So you could turn it on like on all the gears, on all the lower gears, and then just have high power just on the top gears. Mm. So they don't have like an on-off switch. They have it like as a percentage. And if the dealer, whoever programs it, isn't paying attention and leaves that number in there, it's it's essentially putting a 12% D-rate on your truck all times. And the computer will never say it's D-rated. It says it's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That That sounds to me like it just had to be an oversight or a mistake. Did anybody ask the dealer why? Uh, I think he was going to go and call the dealer, but I mean, that's, that's worse than useless, you know, to well, go I, back to the dealer. You're right. They're probably going to give him a big runaround or not know what he's talking about, but just on the off chance that there's some weird reason why they do this. I can't think of any, but now, it's within spec. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's within spec. Yeah. Right. So, so back to the young man with the turbo issue saying we're too expensive. And look at this guy. He went and he paid a dealer to do something, and then he had to come to us to get it made right. That's what I and mean. And if I remember correctly, I think he's taken it to back to the dealer multiple times to, you know, have have the issue sorted out. And they just they didn't find anything. I think they replaced like the fuel filter module and this and that. But all it turned out to be was just two little numbers that. <laughs> they didn't change and didn't notice. And it's, it's something he asked me, is it something that they should have found? And I was like, well, you should have been able to recognize that when you take it for a test drive, it doesn't go to full load. Right. I was like, hell, your scan gauge pump even told you that. And he goes, yeah, my scan gauge told me only went to 460 horsepower. We know that that's not, those aren't the most accurate, but it also has a percent load Correct. parameter on there and it didn't go to 100%. Right. I was like, you, you, the truck driver knew that it had an issue. You, you should have started there. Exactly. Oh. So I can imagine that's frustrating because if you would take it to the wrong place and they would, you know, well, maybe we need to put an ECM on it and then yeah. maybe we got a wiring harness and maybe we should put injectors in it. But I mean, it just takes a little bit of time, knowledge and experience to really find the, the true problem without uh, just throwing parts at it. So, you know, what you just said there, Leroy, years ago, everybody with the big cams, they blamed it on the fuel pump. Put a fuel pump on it. 
that didn't fix it. I'll put a set of injectors in, that didn't fix it. Put a fuel filter on it, that didn't and they never think to check the fuel filter re- or the fuel line restriction. You, and now today, everything is put an ECM on it and then put a set of injectors in it. In the meantime, now you're $10,000 poorer. You, you yeah. know, Bruce, <clears throat> here's another really good reason to have a good, strong relationship with the shop because this makes me crazy. When I have to go to somebody I don't know, I have no relationship with, and they they i have a problem i have a symptom they do something they change a part they do whatever they think the problem is and it doesn't fix my problem it doesn't address the symptom i have at all i feel like i got screwed why did i have to pay you to do something that didn't fix the problem and i get it we can't always know what the problem is now if i have a good relationship with that shop we can at least negotiate this a little bit Look, I I paid you all that money and you were completely wrong. Once we get this figured out, how about giving me a little break on that? You know, take off a couple hours of that time. And you can usually negotiate if you've got a good relationship and you support them and you bring them more business. On the other hand, if I'm stuck out at a dealer, I have no idea who they are. They just tell me to hit the road. They don't care. They'll charge you for six things that didn't fix anything. Yeah. Kevin, if I could charge for every hour that we never charged for in the last 48 years because of troubleshooting, trying to fix problems and different things, man, I could be retired. (laughs) Oh, easy. (laughs) Or could have retired a long time ago. Yeah. Put it that way. So we we don't do that because I've had it happen to me. Uh, I was in a Dodge dealership in down by uh, Virginia beach air conditioner quit on my 95 Dodge. It was 95 degrees outside. And, uh, oh, wow. And I had forgot there's a little switch on the condenser that would get that green corrosion on it. And I would buy them three at a time and keep them in a glove box and just every spring automatically replace it. And I forgot about it. That truck, they worked on it for two days at this Dodge dealer. And finally, I got in there. I had my bicycle with me. I rode the bicycle over. I said, you know what? I haven't <laughs> found the problem yet. Two days. <laughs> and I said, let's check this $35 part. I'll bet there's green corrosion. I have the part in the glove box. I forgot about it. And that's what it was. And you know what? I paid. I know. 16 hours of labor. I know. And yet they didn't fix the problem. I did. Right. Now, right. I, I couldn't have done that to a person. If I screwed up that bad and worked two days on a problem and then the customer come by and fix the problem. I might have charged them four hours. It, right. But, but right. Not that's eight hours and 16. So, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Anyone. All right. Leroy, do you have anything else? We got to get moving. We're only doing an hour today. Uh, no, that's all I had. Pete, what do you got? I have a whole lot. A couple things. The, the shop availability. Uh, end of the week, a couple small jobs. A week after that, even a few big jobs we can get in. I saw Cummins posted a uh, record-breaking year for 2023, even after their big fine they got with the pickups on their part sales. They, they, they have a you know, broken record themselves. Hey, so Pete, I know what well. it is. It's all, those, it's all those big cam parts you guys sell. Big cam parts. Talking, yep, absolutely. That's I'm right. them out of parts. That's right. Cleaning out the parts. Part. Getting scarce on the big cam parts. We're working on that. You know, the... OEMs need to realize that the 
old A models and the 359 peats are not going away and Caterpillar needs to keep making four and a quarter B parts and Cummins needs to keep making big cam parts. These people are in business to sell parts, but yet they want to phase them out. They want to phase out the N14, phase out the big cam, phase out the four and a quarter B and C. And this is a mistake. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I saw was, you know, we talked about the price of hydrogen last week, that in California they're shutting down shells, uh, shutting down seven hydrogen um, stations. So if you have a hydrogen car, you have seven less places to fill up now. Wait a minute. I mean, that's really Why? That, that, that sounds backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I put Jerry Newsom in or I'm uh, not Jerry Newsom. Gavin. What the that guy's name? Gavin. Gavin Newsom in charge of anything, he'll screw it up. He may end up being our he president if things keep going the way they're looking. Camp. Yeah. That's a scary thought. I hate to put him in charge of Girl Scout camp. Yeah. My God. Yeah. You know, they cited hydrogen supply complications and external market factors why they're closing the plants down. Yeah. <laughs> so hydrogen cars, and, and, you know, of course, they're pushing them in California. They're not you know, right. here. Have a tough time trying to fill up. You know, I, I was shocked yesterday. I was out. Uh, I did a bunch of driving. I had to go down to the other side of Portland and pick up a new dishwasher. Not exactly what I wanted to do yesterday. Uh, I am just absolutely shocked. I know it's Oregon, and I know I'm close to Portland. I could not believe how many electric cars I saw on the road. All kinds of models. I, those you know those cars are going to be a problem everybody rushed out five and six electric models when they've never even built one and put it on the road before well they're popping them out yeah they are the tesla, the tesla cyber truck is rusting in the rain that's bad so if you get bird dirt on it char insects you're to immediately clean them off and there's a wax you put on them to keep them from rusting oh boy Mm-hmm. What is that thing? The Tesla Cybertruck. It's oh. stainless. But they're mm-hmm. actually, if it rains or you get bird dirt on it, it, it's starting to rust. So, which is telling me they don't have much nickel in their stainless. Right. Yeah, I think for some odd reason, they were going for like durability and tensile strength. They make a big deal about how they can shoot at it and it's like bulletproof. Well, well great, except it's going to rust. Yeah, not too many people shoot at you. Right. But bird exactly. shit on a car all Unless you live in Baltimore and Chicago and Los Angeles, right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. If I lived in those cities, I would take the bulletproof and let it rust. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and they want a astronomical amount of money if you want it clear-coated. That's an, an expensive option. Of course, um, you could wrap it. I was going to say, I wonder well. if you're going to see a bunch of them wrapped. Yeah. And because of the shape, apparently there's some issues with wrapping them because of the shape, the corners. I'll bet there is. The hard corner. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. What else? Yeah. Now, that's it for me. Okay. Shop I have an update. Busy. Last week, mm-hmm. I was talking about a flat front tire on the coach. And even though I've lived in way colder climates and I've never had a tire come off the rim because it was cold, I had a feeling this had something to do with the cold. So... Got a truck out here, we got it inflated, and it reinflated, and we checked that tire from top to bottom, not a leak anywhere. Uh, 
check the valve stem, not a leak anywhere. And I thought, you know what? Something happened that this thing went flat. And I, I wish we could find it because I'm going to worry that it's going to happen again. I do think it, the cold had something to do with it. Here's what it was. We deflated it again and pulled out the valve stem and there was some corrosion on it. I have a feeling it was just enough of a temperature drop that things contracted and with that corrosion on there, it allowed the air to leak. Makes sense. Corrosion, corrosion on the inside? Yeah. Yeah, the valve stem itself, wow. like the shaft of the valve stem had that white corrosion on it so it wasn't, wasn't moving smooth. I wonder if we should take What's that called, that piece that's in the valve stem? Schrader valve. I wonder if we should take those out and put a little film of uh, dielectric grease on them. The only thing I'd worry about is the grease gathering dirt. I kind of thought about that too, but then I worried about, maybe better off with silicon, something that wouldn't gather any dirt. And honestly, it's not that big of a problem. I mean, that's the first time I've ever had that. It's the first time I've had a tire go flat off the rim like, just sitting there when I knew there was no problem with that tire unless I well couldn't have even have been that I picked it up in the last couple of miles of the trip because it's been sitting out there for a month had it had a slow leak it would have gone flat a long time ago it only went flat on that really cold couple of days I was out of my bike early it was a couple years back so it was springtime and the tires were a little, little bit low especially the front tire but wasn't enough for me to feel like my air compressor out, I figured I'm just going to drive to Giant Eagle and fill it up there. It's free. So I get there, I put air in it. Well, now the Schrader valve leaks. Yeah. It's worse than before. Like, I couldn't even drive it home. Oh, yeah. So I had to call my brother, pick me up, go to the auto parts store, buy a Schrader valve tool and Schrader valve, put a new, put a new one in there, put air in it to continue riding. Yeah. I've never had that happen. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what happened here, and I think that little bit of corrosion just with the cold was enough to just let it leak. Uh-huh. So my 2014 Ram pickup truck still has the original tires on that were made in 2013, <laughs> and they leak off a little bit. The tread's still good. Right. <laughs> so. uh. Anyway, uh it's only 40-some thousand miles on them. But, wow. And they keep, the pressure changes. So when I get back up north in the spring, I'm going to change all four of those Schrader valves now. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay. I think we better get some calls. We should. Let's uh, let's get started in New Mexico. Jeremy, welcome. Uh, hi, Al. I'm seeking a bit of information, free information. <laughs> Uh, on a diagnostic, uh, on my dash diagnostic, the ECMs, uh, I'm running, we're running, uh, Cummins X15, probably a 21 or something. But, uh, it says after treatment, one outlet knock sensor, abnormal rate of change. And the orange engine light is on. Is this a company truck? Yeah. Not even that. The, the company's leasing it from Ryder. Okay, so we know it's but, not but, running the max mileage catalyst. So right, okay. I know. I've, I've told my, uh, but I've told my company about it if we ever buy trucks again, you know. So, but uh, 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 anyway, I was just trying to. We didn't want to get stuck somewhere. Or I have a friend that he he's the owner operator. He has a computer. He just plugs in and, and resets the code. He doesn't do anything about it. Uh, is it just? Uh, 
a thing where you reset codes and go in and pay, you know, or to do that, or uh, do uh, sensors need to be changed? Oh, so, Leroy, can that sensor be cleaned with brake clean? Um, no, that you don't want to clean the knock sensor with brake cleaner. So abnormal okay. rate of change, uh, most likely, without looking at it, is some sort of issue where the ECM is getting a rational value, like one that it can believe, and then the next second it's not getting one that it can't believe. So if something went from 200 parts per million to zero to 400 back to 10, then it's going to throw a code for abnormal rate of change. Most of the time it's just the sensor, but that would be something that you would probably have to get into a shop and get looked at. Oh, is is um, rate of change heat, or uh, is it sensing that trying to sense heat or temperature? I mean, um, it's it's for the it's uh, abnormal rate of change in the NOx value itself. So the the outlet NOx value EM in parts per million, it's it's seeing an, a weird change, um, sort of an erratic reading. Uh, okay, what's it reading? Change of what? Uh, where it goes from one reading that would make sense, like if the engine was running, it would maybe be around one to two hundred parts million, and then maybe a second later it reads like zero. That's not a, a normal rate of change. It might go from a hundred, two hundred and five, or hundred and fifty, but if it sees it spike in one way or the other, spike high or spike low, they would it would find that to be abnormal. Okay, so it's not. I, I was. It's not causing me. I was thinking it was temperature related and maybe stopping it from doing a, a rolling regen or, you know, after treatment type thing. Is that No, it's not going to stop anything to do with the regen. It might keep the depth. Oh, okay. Working, but it's most likely just the sensor. Okay. And it's, it's gone off and reset itself, you know, uh, one time before this week. Uh, but it came back on. Do you think it's uh, urgent? Like it would derate us or... or uh, if it completely no, stops, it will derate you. Um, but if it's kind of in and out, it's most likely not going to derate. All right. Thank you, and uh, happy seventy fifth, Bruce. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. Hey. Hey, Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce. Next week's the owner operator snowmobile conference, so we still have, I think, four rooms left, unless they've gone this weekend. Well, that's exciting. Grand Lake, Colorado. I love that Next place. Wednesday afternoon, we all meet. That's yeah, a great place. That's a beautiful place. Uh, all right, I've got something here. Bruce, I, I know every generation talks about the next generation coming after them and what's wrong with them. And But I, I think we could all agree that each generation gets weaker. You know, I, I think about the conditions that my father drove under. You know, when he started when he was young, um, we were probably talking 170 horsepower, naturally aspirated engines, and I'm pretty sure the weight limit was like 72,000 pounds. Can you imagine what that was like? And mostly two lanes. 73,280, wasn't that the number? That's the number. You're right. I almost said 72,380, but you're right. It's the other way yeah. around. Yep. That, that was the weight. And, and we had Go ahead. 96-inch watt trailers right and if you remember when we went from 96 to 102s we lost an instant half mile of a gallon i do remember that i was in the industry so when we the made that switch industry, yeah we're the only industry that gives 
the shipper more for less pain. So longer trailers, wider trailers, bigger yeah. cube trailers. I think about that. How less. how how tough that must have been driving in those conditions. And then I think about my grandfather. There weren't even any interstates. None. Zero. Nothing but two lanes and dirt roads and very few truck stops. And I have no idea what kind of horsepower we were talking about back then. The seat was a wooden bench. Um, So definitely, I can't even imagine driving under those conditions. I, I say this because I just read this post from Harvard. Listen to this. I wonder if anybody actually thinks about this when they read it. Here, This is Harvard, the newspaper, putting this out. More than 30 pro-Palestinian Harvard students participated in a 12-hour hunger strike. What the hell is that? 12 hours, you went to bed and slept 10 of it. You delayed breakfast for two hours, and you're calling it a hunger strike? <laughs> What a bunch of wussies. That's not a hunger strike. <laughs> I can't even believe they published that. Oh. Wow. In fact, the, the one diet says uh, eat from 10 to 6, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and don't eat after 6. Well, right. That's more than 12 hours. <laughs> right. It's, it's called intermittent fasting, and most people I know that eat low-carb do it every day. Yeah. Now right. it qualifies as a hunger strike. They're not even ashamed of that. No. Like I said, if, if I go to bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I don't snack at night. So, I mean, I eat dinner. Right. And then I get up at 5.30. I don't eat anything until I get to work here. I'll have toast or something. But, you know, it's 12, 14 hours since I ate last. Every day. Strike. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and it's Harvard. They're supposed to be the smart ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, look who they just uh, fired or got rid of that lady. You know, she's still on there. Nine hundred and some thousand dollars a year she gets paid. Holy cow. I just looked at the calls. We got to get to calls. We can't be telling stories anymore. What are we thinking? Let's go to Florida. Cole, welcome. Hi, guys. How are y'all? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Hey, um, I wanted to quiz Bruce about the new Cummins. Have you heard anything about the X-12 that's come out? It actually came out in 2018, actually. I don't know a lot about it, but maybe Leroy and Pete does. Yeah, I know they, they've come out with them, but we haven't seen it. I don't think we've seen any in the shop. That's a you know, I, I, was also... I kind of stopped paying attention to the smaller um, displacement engines when they bring them out because nobody buys them. I... I, I prefer 12 liters one of our most popular engines of all time was a 12 liter but in every other engine for some reason we think of a 12 liter as a small engine i don't know why right if uh, if, if you're in if you're in florida and you're going to stay in florida and pull moderate loads you should try one well i live in wyoming oh now you don't want one in wyoming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but why? If you looked at the horsepower rating, they they produce almost identical as the uh, twelve seven Detroit. Correct. Five hundred and seventeen hundred. Man, I'll tell you, you drive Interstate eighty and head west in the wind. Yeah, all the time. Okay. I don't know. I mean, you're going to work the a smaller liter engine a lot more in conditions like that. And and the twelve seven, even though it was, and I don't think the twelve liter Cummins is twelve liters. I think it's like eleven eight or something like that. It might yeah, be. Or the you know the the twelve seven was 
or 12.7, almost 13 liters, which seems to be the ideal size engine, but everyone wants the 15 liter. Right. Are you, uh, are, you are you at 80,000? Are you 80,000 pounds? Yeah. Yes, okay. most of the time. I was just wondering, because right now I'm running a Packard MX-13, and that produces less horsepower and less torque than that 11.8 liter Cummins, if we can, um, you know, if we can assume that the numbers are correct. That's the thing. Sometimes yeah. the numbers are a little... Plus, we'll, be able, just we'll, if you guys, be, able, we'll be able to tune it. That's Stop what I was wondering, see. because... Yeah. Stop by and see Patrick Anderson in Cheyenne, and he'll hook up to it, and uh, Leroy can do his magic. You know, here's here's so one of the reasons. The Cummins, I think it had a 2350 ECM. Is that right, Leroy? Uh, depending on the year, yeah. But, I mean, if it's a Cummins, we can tune it. So, Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's the other well, thing I worry about. Be first. When an engine isn't popular, and this one certainly isn't, I, I've never had a call about one. Pete said they don't think they've ever had one in the shop. This could turn out to be one of those engines that has specific problems at specific miles, and we'll never know it. There's, there's not enough of them out there. We're not going to figure these things out because there just aren't enough. If an engine doesn't become popular and sell enough, I just stay away from it. Well, I know we it's, have it's never, kind of new to North America. That, that's what I well, mean. We and, have never had... Let me let me say this, Kevin. We have never had a Cummins engine that we couldn't make perform. Even ones where the Cummins engineers would call me and say that was strictly a low horsepower fleet engine, like the engine that was in my T six hundred. Uh Cummins engineering told me I'd never be successful with that engine and look what we did with that eight thirty eight and eight forty. It turned out to be a phenomenal engine. Small cam CPL oh. two seventeen we were able to take right up over 400 horsepower, and it was a 290. So I wouldn't be afraid of that 12-liter engine. Yeah, Bruce, and what I was thinking of is you have mentioned a couple of times that project that you're trying to put 228s in a uh, Packard product, Peter Realtor. Right. Um, and I imagine uh-huh. you're using an X-15 behind it, right, or in front of it? No, it's an MX-13, and I got turned down oh, after – Numerous phone calls. The truck's going to be built with 253s, and there's going to be two of them, and we may swap out the diffs on one after we see how it works with the 253s. But my last conversation with the engineer down in Denton, Texas, was Eaton will not okay it. And I said, what the hell does Eaton have to do with it? Whenever they don't own the truck, they're not going to drive the truck. They're not paying for the truck just because it's their components. Why can't we put in their components that we want? Right. I'm just wondering if, I mean, when you're talking, when you look at the horsepower ratings of the MX-13 and then you compare them to the X-12, the X-12 actually has a better output and a higher torque ratings at lower look at, RPMs. Well, look at where RPMs. it's producing that horsepower. Right, nine, 900 RPM is where it produces wow. max torque, and the same with the with same Ma- with the yeah, MX-13, torque, I, I, 900 look, RPM. Where is it producing its horsepower? Yeah, max horsepower is, I don't forget on that, somewhere around 15 or 16, you, you, but it produces enough horsepower at 1,000 to be able to cruise there because I do it with my MX-13 all the time. There you go. Let's I'm, try I'm just, it. I was just looking at that thinking, man, that'd be a fun one to test. It'd be fun to try it. It'd be a $200,000 yeah. test. So. <laughs> should totally do it. Yeah, yeah let's do it. it. What are you expecting <laughs> for fuel? It. 
What are you expecting for fuel economy? Well, that was kind of my, my point. If we could go a little crazy with the spec, it'd be fun to try to, you know, take a Packard product and kind of compete with uh, the Joel and Henry's out there, you know? The, the, the problem is the architecture doesn't support it. That's not how that engine yeah, operates. That you, you, it, it doesn't want to operate at those same ranges. So trying to copy their specs well, is a mistake. I, I, Kevin, I, I, I'm going to agree with Bruce a little bit more on this one. I, I disagree with that because I'm running the Packard and it does. So what's your fuel economy on I'm the running Packard? it at 10. I have 8.4. What's that? 8.4. Okay. I mean, that, that's what I mean. Where I, I don't get excited about 8 much anymore. I mean, nine, I'm starting well, I know, to but feel you have it. To, but... You have to consider what I do, you know, and, and I'm not going to say that, well, that that I run a truck that can compete with that, but what I'm talking about doing is building a truck that can. But what I'm telling you is... Fun. And, is and, the... and you might not hit that 10 or 11. I agree. There, well, but... you're not going to, but here's the other thing I'm trying to caution you about. Don't copy their specs. This drive engine needs a different drivetrain and different specs than what they've got. That, that's oh, what I'm saying. If you want to maximize this, okay. go for it. I don't think you're going to reach the kind of numbers we're talking about, but go for it. But don't just blindly copy their specs. Right. Absolutely. No, no, and I, I probably let, use 264 gears. Let's, no, let's think about this now. If its peak torque is at 900, on the days of mechanical engines, you wanted to be, when you were going to work it, you wanted to be two to 300 RPM over peak torque. But you can cruise at peak torque. So this engine, if they're saying peak torque is at 900, you'll be able to cruise that engine at 900 to 1,000 RPM. So the architecture yeah, is the, there. The, the, the Packard has the exact same um, torque curve. 900 is max. And, then, um, and I've discovered that 1050 works really well for cruising. Um, 900 gets a little low. It's a little uncomfortable to cruise at. Yeah. Um, and it would end up being too slow because my 264 gears. Um, so, and because of the 12-speed transmission, it wants to shift um, way above that. So 1050 to 1100 seems to be that, that really good fuel economy number for the Packard. The Cummins, I believe, tend to be a little more, um, a little more torquey on the bottom, don't they? I would say so. And are you going to put the 18-speed auto shift in or manual? I was thinking about the 18 auto. I probably would go with the 12-speed uh, auto, though, because it's such a good transmission, and it's so well, yeah, the, it's pretty simple. Okay, I, on the 13, or is it the 12, there's no – you go from 1 to 1 to 0.7 or 0.73. What I read was 0.7, so you, you have that huge drop where the 18, you've got the half a gear there, so 17th yeah. and then 18th. So I would go with yeah, the, the 18th speed. speed. is a uh, seven, uh, 77, uh, 0.77. Okay, 0.77. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 18th speed is like a 0.84 and then a 0.7. Yes, okay. Yeah. Well, I would love to try that, that um, endurance 18 speed. That would be a fun – but I, I'm curious because – when it comes to efficiency, they're always putting the 12 speeds in. Don't put the 264s in. That's that's too low of a gear. Put the 253s in it. Because yeah, that would be a bad idea. I just really like this 264 in the Packard. It seems to be right about the right cruising speed that I like to cruise at. And the 253 what? might put me in kind of a 
What what's your cruising speed? About sixty-two. Oh, okay. You're running sixty-two in Wyoming with an eighty mile an hour speed limit. That's amazing. Okay. But no one's there, so even, it doesn't bother anybody. <laughs> even whenever you're if when you crest the continental divide and you're heading east and you're going down that long grade, you still stay at sixty two? Um, well, that's a good point. No, sometimes I'll get in a hurry and, and through the 65 but the 264 gear tends to do that pretty well it, it runs about 61 all the way up to 68 quite well right, with the 12 speed auto hey hey cole um, so we, i just kind of didn't want to move from that yeah we we got to move along but i'll do this if you decide to build this okay. let me know and we'll document it with you <laughs> all yeah. right thanks Call, yeah, no, no call pressure. Me and let's talk about this. No pressure. Okay. Let's go to Illinois. Jim, welcome. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. Um, What's on your mind I today? A, I have a 2019 Cummins engine. It's an ISL 9 liter. And um, I can't get rid of uh, 0428 code, which is water in the fuel. I do have Cummins Insight. I've run through Cummins Insight. I've pinned some stuff. I'm supposed to be getting five volts down at the uh, at the sensor in the fuel filter. I don't have five volts down there. But if you go farther into Insight and look at the parameters, it's it's showing it's putting out five volts. But you don't have five volts at the sensor, no? I don't have five volts at the sensor. And, and the weird thing is... No, actually, it's only two at the fuel filter sensor. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if it doesn't have uh, any voltage down there, then the, the sensor just can't work. The, but the weird thing is, because Cummins Insight's pretty nice, it, it runs you through the, the diagnostics for it. And I, I'm, I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it says, you know, the pin on the, on the ECU, like pin 147 should be 5 volts. And then halfway through it, it tells me, like, pin 162 is supposed to have 5 volts. So, yeah, obviously, I, I got a wire break or something between the fuel filter sensor and the ECU, but I'm, I'm, it, it's two different pin numbers off the ECU. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, what the exact pin out is on that. I know one would oh, be a sensor apply and one would be a sensor return, but I don't know what pins they go to. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess my question is, have you ever ran into, like, halfway halfway through the diagnostics part, they, they changed the PIN number on me? Um, I don't think I've personally seen that, no. Uh, you know, I've tried updating the updating the, the Cummins Insight and everything, and, and it's it's all updated and everything. And and then and then far, if you read farther down the, the directions, it's like if you don't have 5 volts coming out of PIN X, then the ECU is bad. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right, but I, yeah, I don't. I've never seen a switch pin numbers. All right, so I I just have to. I mean, is it as simple as I have to find the right pin number off the ECU and make sure that's putting five volts to my sensor in the filter? Yeah, yeah. You just need to. I mean, in short, you um, basically need to make sure you have five volts coming out of the ECM, and then make sure you have a continuous wire to your sensor, and then the same thing for your. Uh, return wire make sure that you have a continuous wire back to the pin back to the ecm back to whatever the whatever the return number is mm -hmm. correct now also in those directions 
the the fuel sensor in the filters, which we use fleet guard filters, so they're they're a good filter. And the filter by itself, the sensor in the filter, is supposed to read 60 ohms. Every one I get is reading 85 ohms. Is is that a problem? Yeah, I mean that could be a problem. Um, I would I would want to know if that drops the voltage down to, because if it's not dropping enough, that might be an issue. All right, all right. So so I have to just just make sure I got five volts coming out of the ECU, get into my filter, and and figure out this different pin numbers that they give me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we need to make sure we're looking at the right pin. If you need help, you can email me, and I'll get you a schematic. That would that would be awesome. Okay, I, I let me play with this some more, and, and I might do that. All right, sounds, all right. Good. sounds good. Let's go to Ohio. John, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. Good. I'm a what? brand new owner operator. Uh, thank you for taking the call. I'm a brand new owner operator, and, and Kevin last week uh, said something that I've been struggling with for a little while, and that was that if a owner operator slash driver did not have a, a good accounting program, that they really didn't know what was going on. And I, I can't stress enough how true that is, even though that I've written um, my own Excel spreadsheet to try to keep up with CPM and various different things. And if I've tried QuickBooks, which is fundamentally not workable for me because of just the technology. It's not. Technology is just, yeah, it wasn't. But I called yesterday, spoke with Angie, um, and I really appreciate her knowledge on this, but she's referred me to your profit gauges program, and I'm just now looking at it. I'm so excited to start on something that I hope is uh, customer-driven, owner-operator-driven that can give me the ability to track my expenses, my profits, and really get something done. But so, I John, wanted to but, say thank you to her for letting me know what that is. You're welcome. Um, let me just tell you that you were doing the exact right thing. I'll give you the history of how Profit Gages came about. 1989. Okay. In 1989, I was writing those same spreadsheets you're just talking about. I was the spreadsheet <laughs> king back then. I had spreadsheets everywhere, mm-hmm. and I realized how mm-hmm. labor-intensive they were and mm-hmm. how prone they were to mistakes. It is really easy mm-hmm. when you've got 87 formulas on a spreadsheet to screw one up and never realize it. And it's calculating a field wrong. And if you don't constantly double and triple check formulas. So I I went through all that. A couple of years of writing those spreadsheets. Then then QuickBooks came out right around that time, 90, 91. And I switched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. QuickBooks back then was simple enough that I made it work. And it was good, but it couldn't do cost per mile. So I had to keep my spreadsheets. I had to do my accounting in QuickBooks, right. but then export my business reports and write a spreadsheet to calculate cost per mile on them. And that was a lot of work. Right. And ultimately, right. I, I just kept writing those spreadsheets, and then I learned how some basic database programming, and I turned my spreadsheets into a database. And then I ultimately found a business partner, who's Aaron, still with me today, uh, and Aaron and our programming team took my rudimentary little database program and made profit gauges. Wow. Well, I'm excited about trying it. I'm looking at the profit gauges in overdrive. Uh, I guess they're a study uh, prof project, uh, product. Uh, 
or project, and I'm reading through that, and I'm very anxious for the costing of it, which is extremely reasonable. I'm really hoping that this knocks it out of the park because, you know, you you, you write an Excel spreadsheet for January of 2023, (laughs) you calculate all your stuff, and then you get to February of 2023, and you expect, you, you write, try to get cumulative numbers to come over where that it's a pending and then you by the time you get to november you don't know if the stuff in there is right or wrong and i can guarantee you my cpa does and she was not happy that that's exactly um, right i'm 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 really excited about this but i called for two questions on a different topic but wanted to say i'm really excited about this profit gauges program but here goes the two questions um i uh, have just bought this truck it's the 23 cascadia 126 um, it's got the DD15 engine, uh, DT12 uh, auto in it. Um, I have been when I when I bought it back in April the first of last year was running about 7.2, 7.3 at the very most with fuel mileage, and I'm I'm running about 70 miles an hour as my average speed. The truck has turned up to 82, and so I can get around some of these. Well, I'll just be kind, people, and. Um, but I really, really try to manage the sweet spot between 68 and 70 for fuel mileage. And I was getting about well, that hey, speed. Hey, uh, hold up, John, about, John, John sure, let, me, sure. let me stop you for a second. Sure. That, sure. Uh, yes, sir. What makes you think the sweet spot for fuel is 68 to 70? Well, it, uh, I, it's what has, I mean, I was, I've been driven, driving for 20 years, and I've, I've been in trucks that was barely able to get six, so to get seven, two, you know, at 68 to 70, in, in my Volvo that I had back in 03, the sweet spot for that truck running an 18-speed ISX 600-horse engine was about 60, about 62 miles an hour. And I was getting back in that day, 2003, at times I was getting over 8 miles to a gallon. That, so I'm just comparing so, apples to oranges in the old days to today. Yeah, you're you're mixing up a lot of things. You're you're comparing trucks that we should never be comparing to way too many variables. But I'm telling you, the sweet spot on that truck right, for fuel mileage, right. there there is no truck. I have to be careful how I say this, but speed is the single most important factor in fuel economy. Nothing else even comes close mm-hmm. because it affects all of mm-hmm. the other things. Speed affects aerodynamics; it's exponential. Speed affects rolling resistance. Speed affects mechanical resistance in the drivetrain and the engine. The higher the RPM we're running, the more drag there is out of the engine itself. I can kind of make the statement that there are no trucks where the sweet spot is 68 to 70. Virtually every truck on the road would do better at 60 than it will at 70, no matter what the specs are. Now, if we spec it to run at those slower speeds... Now we start talking about numbers like 10, and those are game-changing numbers when you can get to 9, 9.5, 10 miles to the gallon, and that's completely possible now. But i got to go back to that stinking thinking. Uh, We're so used Mm -hmm. in this industry to getting 6 or 7 miles to the gallon that now 8 makes us feel amazing, and it shouldn't. 8 was good 10 years ago. Okay, okay. 10 years ago, we we, we built a truck that got 9 it was actually a little longer than that, I think. Right. So, so right. we got to realize what is possible now. And, and let me say this. After you're open and mm-hmm. all this work you've done on spreadsheets, you're doing all the hard work here, and yet you're settling for being just about average when it comes to fuel economy. You don't sound like an average kind of guy to me. 
Well, I appreciate that's very kind of you, but I, I run for an expedited company, and I'm on a dedicated lane from Detroit to Laredo, Laredo to Detroit, and in a 70-hour week running at 70 miles an hour, I'm ending that week with about four hours and change left. So let me ask so you if this. I dropped it down to 60, let, I don't think I could make that run. And maybe you can't, and, and we need to talk about that. What I don't know if you well you should have you said you had your spreadsheets if you do you track cost per mile total cost per mile on every mile you run or let me let me make it easier I I know I should let me make it easier do you track revenue Mm -hmm. per mile on every mile you run yes okay what's that number. Uh, your people are going to think I'm lying, but um, $2.33 a mile is revenue on every mile I run. Okay, well, I don't know why anybody would think you're lying. That's about average. Now, I will. No, let me take that back. How many miles are okay. empty, roughly? What percentage? Empty? Yeah. Not paid. Six miles to my pick. Uh, six miles to my pickup and 67 miles from my drop back to my yard. Okay, so not a lot. You've got a low percentage of empty miles, which is good. Mm. If if um, given the time we're in, I would say keep doing what you're doing. What I was just trying to calculate in my own head, does this freight pay enough to drive that fast? Just because freight requires you to drive fast, I've heard people say that, but my freight requires me. I have to drive this fast. And I find out they're, they're running for, you know, 202 a mile and they're getting five miles to mm-hmm. the gallon because they're driving so fast. The answer there is don't pull that freight. That is what I would call mm-hmm. cheap freight in a situation like that. I don't think your numbers are that bad. Um, 230 okay. something a mile on all miles right now. Uh, that makes it worth it to run a little harder, uh, especially in today's environment where those those big rates just aren't out there anymore. But that's the way we would mm-hmm. look at it. It's not a slam dunk whether we drive 70 or 60. It's a factor of what is our rate and what is our fuel economy and how do we maximize those two. Now, I'm not saying everybody should drive that's 60. True. There are people that should absolutely drive 70 miles an hour and the freight makes it worth it. But most people right. who say that have never calculated the numbers, so they're just guessing. Right, right, right. I got what you're saying, and let me let me run some more numbers, and because sure. I'm very OC about this kind of stuff. But I need to, if I, if I may, ask you two questions that yeah. are really really important to me, in addition to what you've said. So when I bought the truck, it was running regular oil, not synthetic, and after um, I run it to 100,000 miles, I switched over to Mobile One Delvac 1540 synthetic. What year I'm is this truck? I'm not running any kind of, it's a 2023 okay. uh, so, Freightliner Cascadia 126. Go ahead with your so next question. I'm running, I'm, running, I'm running synthetic, but I'm not running any types of oil treatments. Good. So the first question is, that's what I wanted to hear. So you don't need any good, oil just treatments. Just running synthetic without ever. Okay. That ended that question. Thank you. I, I okay. just actually. So question, did you listen to the show yesterday I, by chance? I did not. I so, called in and uh, I'm on my 34 so, hours, so I'm trying to get some tax stuff done. So, so right. when you go back, you can listen to it on the app. I had the um, global OEM manager from Shell Oil on the show yesterday. Okay. And she's a okay. mechanical engineer, and we talked about oils. 
and we talked about how much work goes in at each individual oil company to their formula, their package of additives. Think about it like this. I love to cook. I make the best chili in the world, I will promise you. And here's, here's what it's like when you come along and you pour an oil additive into that crankcase where they've spent about a billion dollars coming up with their own oil additive package. It'd be like coming into my chili mm-hmm. and dumping a quart of something else in it because you think that'll make it taste better. It, gotcha. It, it might, but what are the odds that it might make it taste worse? I've already, this is the best chili you can make. I, I've worked really hard on it. Don't be dumping something else. Go, go build your own chili recipe with that stuff and then tell me it's better. That's kind of what oil is. Gotcha. I, I, the oil gotcha. doesn't need additives. There's tons of additives in it. And when we put a third okay. party additive, we have no idea how it's going to interact. Many times it will mess up the balance of the additives that are already in that oil. Gotcha. gotcha. Now, all right. Now, hold on. Thank you. Hold on. I don't mean to cut you off. Okay. Yeah, there is an improvement you can make in what you're doing. So, okay. You should be using synthetic, but on that engine, I would switch to 1030 synthetic, not 1540. We don't need those heavy oils in these new engines. They're built for those light 30 weight oils. Okay. And lighter oil gets you better fuel economy and performance. Are you running the max dyna- mileage catalyst? That, that's the second question that I was getting to because a buddy of mine that runs Expedite in a straight truck loves your show, and he actually turned me on to you guys. He's been listening to you guys for years. So, Joe, if you're listening, dude, you did great here. But um, he t- he's very he runs Pittsburgh Power Max Catalyst, and I have been running in this truck now for the year that I've, I've had it. Lucas injector cleaner and my mileage from the, the from the second gallon that I put in it in the between the tanks I run half a gallon on each 120 gallon tank saddle um, I went from seven two to eight two no, in you, my second treatment so. no you didn't let me correct mm-hmm. you you absolutely didn't oh. now did you gain some possibly if the injectors were dirty I mean that's the only way an injector cleaner could help us There's nothing in a cleaner that could improve fuel economy other than by its action of cleansing, which really just gets us back to where we should have been anyway. So we can occasionally see a gain, but I can promise you it's never a mile per gallon. The problem you're having, we, we wouldn't be able to prove the gain out of something like an injector cleaner without doing a test on about 500 trucks for a year. I mean, that's how hard it would be to pull oh. out any, any real gain. You had 32 right. other variables that changed on that load, and that's why your fuel economy went up. All right, so, so my, my math didn't, my math didn't <laughs> give me the result I guess I expected or that I wanted. Okay. All right. Let me say this. The Lucas is great. It's a great product. It has great lubricity in it, and it, it does wonderful things, and especially in the N14s. But the max mileage catalyst is what burns the soot and carbon, and you're running a one box. And if you run the catalyst, chances are you can get a million miles out of that box as opposed to having a failure in the six or 700,000 mile range. So uh, if you want to keep using the Lucas, it works great 
along with the max mileage fuel borne catalyst. Um, John, well, I have a question. I did order. I did. I did order from Angie yesterday. Uh, I wanted to try it. Wanted to test it, and I plan on continuing to go with it. I did order a half gallon to begin again tax season, so I'm being very frugal with my money. But I did order a half gallon, and and I, it, it's it's. I got the message today that's been shipped, and I'm very excited about it. But the question hey. was is that I expect that I'll be transitioning and running max mileage all the time and my question was is that should i run and continue to run the lucas uh, injector cleaner with the max mileage Uh, or drop the lucas off after i start running the max mileage what is the best let me give you my opinion i should do yeah let me give you my opinion and i think you can hear that i'm i'm very very cautious about um, additives of any kind i have a clear message on oil don't put anything in your crankcase except a good quality synthetic oil proper weight for your engine that's easy fuel additives a little bit trickier i I would run an injector cleaner but certainly not every tank i I would run it maybe once a quarter put it on your calendar run it once a quarter that'll be plenty to keep your injectors clean Uh, otherwise i just think you're wasting money to do it on every tank the only additive i have ever really supported and it's not really an additive. It, it, it's a catalyst. There is a difference. The, this is the only mm-hmm. fuel additive I've ever supported. I've tested just about everything on the market. And I've said, if it's up to me, I'm not putting anything in my fuel tanks other than fuel. Uh, maybe an injector cleaner a couple times a year. I just didn't see any advantage until the max mileage. And that's why it's in our store. And that's why we talk about it. That one you should put in every tank. I would go easy on the injector cleaner. I, I think every tank is a waste. Okay. All right. Well, that's saving me money, and I'm 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 all about you know profit. So that that's a great advice. I really appreciate it. The oil at thirty at um, ten thirty is good. I appreciate that, and I really appreciate the uh, answering the question on the catalyst because I I don't want to waste money, and but I do. I do, I do keep the truck, I, I invest into my equipment. It's a tool, and it's my That's livelihood, right. and I invest a lot of money that, into it. So I'm looking, I talked with Angie yesterday, I'm looking forward to getting up to Pittsburgh, having you guys, I, I am sending off an oil, I did order a, 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 an oil sample kit good, that's coming good. in along with this and i'm hey. going to send that off and then once i get that sent off i want to set up a time to get up to pittsburgh and have you guys run is my truck is my truck tweaked uh, tweaked and tuned that's what i need to know excellent so let, let me tell you this i've got really good news for you mm-hmm. okay you've got the tough half of the business part all figured out. It's your attitude and your thought process. You have the proper attitude and thought process to absolutely succeed at this hands down. All you're missing at this point is knowledge, and now you've come to the right place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, I appreciate your time today very much, sir. All right. So do you turn Laredo twice a week? Uh once a week it when i pick up on wednesday i deliver in the i pick up wednesday at nine i deliver on friday at 11 and then i pick up my return back to detroit at three and i'm delivering on monday morning at 8 a.m in detroit then deadhead 67 miles back to the yard and do 34. got it yeah that keep keep that up like i said i was a little concerned that you had to run that hard to make that work happen but now that i understand the details i I would keep that okay so i got i I, one thing i want you to try instead of going all the way down to 60 try one trip at 65 
And do you have a boost gauge? Watch the boost gauge and see, you know, let it float between 64, 65, see how low you can keep that gauge. And you might find that that three to five mile per hour could give you a half mile and a gallon and you still might make your delivery time. Okay. Well, I know you guys have been talking about boost, and I was watching after listening to your show last week. I've been watching these electronic gauges on the dash and running in 12th speed at 70 miles an hour on pretty flat. It will fluctuate between 23 and 27. And oh my God, that's way too high, Bruce. We get way Bruce. That, that was that, what you guys were going to say. That calculation on these newer engines isn't nearly as accurate anymore. That's not always, okay. depending on the engine and, and, you know, VGT or not, and so many other factors that, that we've got to be careful. Boost, the way we've always talked about it, absolutely correct, no doubt. It's just not holding up with these newer engines. Mm. Well, when I hear you guys talk of the and, lower boost, that's the reason why I, one of the next steps is to get one, it up to Pittsburgh and let you guys just look at it. Yeah, I, I think I that probably too. is too much boost we could lower it but it, it's not that same straightforward calculation on this engine uh, uh, if it were i don't mm. think you would be getting anywhere near the kind of fuel mileage you're getting i mean that is a that sounds like right. a horrible number on the level like it sounds like something's really wrong but it but it's not my load like, down is about 30 my load down is about thirty-seven thousand, and my load back up in most cases, is ridiculously light. It's between, so you, and are, I didn't check the boost on the backup, but it's between seven and nine thousand on the back on the. Well, back, traditionally, on, the on a traditional engine where we talk about this, that would have been a good test. Your boost should be significantly less based on that weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll get it up there and let you guys run. That's you know, run, spin your magic on it. That's, that, that's, that's I need to know. I need to know because I'm running. I'm running five hundred and five horses on this and you know again it's turned up to 82 but like i said i really won't run that unless i'm getting around somebody that's that's ignorant but um 70 is 70 is where i've been able to make this ride comfortable down and back but i'd really like to drop it down to 60 to 62 i really would because it'd be less less work on that engine the best way to do this is for The best way for you to do this is to pull into Pittsburgh Power, ask them for the Hawkeye report first. They'll find everything about the truck. It's either the way it should be or they'll point out that it's not. And then from there, like you just said, you just work with them to tweak your fuel economy on this and just keep working on it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much again for your time today. I really appreciate you all. I'll be listening more frequently. I really enjoy the level of knowledge you all possess. Thank All you. right. Thank you. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Anybody want to close with anything? No, I just want him to try a trip at 65 and see what happens. Well, I think that would be a great test. We'll see if he does that. We'll report mm-hmm. back. All right. We will see you back here next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions, give him a call at Pittsburgh Power. I will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.